Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the 526th edition of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. I'm your host, Daniel Feuerstein. I'll give you American perspective of our clubs, leagues, players, national team, and other fabulous moments. You can get your daily reading from me and other writers over at jerseysportingnews.com. <coughs> Excuse me. Chat room is open. Come on in. Discuss amongst yourselves if you like. If you have a question for me. I'll try to answer it to the best of my abilities. And now, I want to say something here. And usually, I I don't begin discussion or my intro monologue when it pertains to the New York Red Bulls. I like to keep it on a national level. But it has to be said here. What has been going on with this New York Red Bulls team? And there'll be more during the Red Bulls segment when I'm done with my guests tonight. But I just want to throw this out at everybody. It is a miracle that this season has turned into what we are watching right now. With two games left for the New York Red Bulls and the game in hand, will be played this Wednesday night at Red Bull Arena as Atlanta United will be the opponent before we get to decision day on Sunday in November. And then, of course, we'll take a break from MLS to get into World Cup qualification again starting on Friday, November the 12th. But I want people to understand something here. And whether you like it or not, and whether you are interested in this type of thing or not, something has to be said here. And I I want to be clear about this. Because I want to be honest with everyone here. Not only do I cover the New York Red Bulls, yes, when I started to get back into the game after the 94 World Cup, this club, originally known as the Metro Stars, I was a fan of them. In some ways, still a fan, which I admit, even though I am doing a show based on the game in this country for every single level of professional and amateur soccer, I really thought and I really felt that this season was a rebuilding year. I really thought that the New York Red Bulls, and not to say that I never believed in the talents of these players, I never thought I would be against, you know, I'm saying I'm against the head coach in Gerhard Struber. Never ever would I even think that. But I really felt this was the season that the New York Red Bulls are not going to make the playoffs. Not because they were terrible. Not because 
they are in a huge slump. More because they are rebuilding. And in a city like New York, I know you're not in New York City. Don't be in New York City. No, but you are. We are a New York City team, whether you like it or not. Truth is, is that these young players that they have developed through the academy, that they have transferred over on loan or permanently, I thought it was going to take them a long, long time. In fact, this entire season to gel. You've brought over Fabio. You've brought over Patrick Clamala. You've brought over Andreas Reyes, who was not doing well with Orlando City. You are bringing over academy players like John Tolt. You have another academy player who has been now solidifying his position in Christian Casares Jr. You are giving the opportunity for these players to come together and to perform at a high level. I'll be honest, nothing against Carlos Coronel, but I felt that Ryan Mera should have been the starter of this Red Bulls team after what happened in the shortened pandemic season that knocked out a good part of the season because of the craziness that we had to go through and, of course, all the quarantining that all of us had to go through. And to see what we have seen so far has been truly amazing. And even though they had a decent start to the season, and there were still some issues here and there, the injuries really were significant, and no one was playing together as a real team. The communication was lacking. They scored goals, or a goal, but they've lost leads and lost points. Not to believe I felt that the game plan was lacking, or the idea was lacking, just it was never going to come together the way that the New York Red Bulls have brought it together within these last 10 games. You start off scoring four goals down at Inter-Miami. And Inter-Miami eliminated from playoff contention. You, all of a sudden, decide to go unbeaten in the next eight games. Not only do you sweep Inter Miami in the two, not only do you win the series against the Columbus crew, not only do you win on the road at the brand new TQL in Cincinnati on the west side, but you take the Hudson River Derby from NYCFC. And even though the blip on the screen on the only loss within these 10 games was at DC United and you temporarily 
switch spaces hanging around that playoff line. The Red Bulls come back on a last moment gasp, converting against Montreal and burying that opportunity to go back over the playoff line to push D.C. United back down behind the playoff line. And now with the match in hand for the New York Red Bulls. And also, let's not forget, Montreal will be playing in midweek action as well against a Western Conference team. (coughs) Excuse me. The opportunity for the Red Bulls right now is to leapfrog into fifth place over Orlando City for 49 points if they defeat Atlanta United. And depending on the the game, the final game of the regular season on decision day, if NYCFC are going to win that match or not, the New York Red Bulls have to go to Nashville. And if they go to Nashville and they get the full three points and New York City FC finds a way to lose their final match on decision day, there's a possibility that the New York Red Bulls can host a playoff round match. It is unbelievable and unreal what we have seen. It is unbelievable and unreal how Gerhard Struber has gotten his team to be playing dangerous, playing hard, playing smart defense. And yes, even Carlos Coronel, who had a rough start to the season, became a much better goalkeeper than I'll admit than I would have given him credit for. Because I felt bad for Ryan Mera. And I felt that Ryan Mera is the starting goalkeeper for the New York Red Bulls. But Carlos Coronel was basically given the belief by Struber, and he has done the job that none of us thought, even myself, didn't even think this guy was going to cut it here. And all I can say is, all I can say is, is that it's going to be interesting. And it's going to be fantastic. I am amazed at the run that they've put on. I'm amazed at the amount of goals being scored. I'm amazed of how they have salvaged a season where I didn't even think the season was going to be salvaged at all. I thought the injuries were too, uh, too difficult. I didn't see any continuity. You would see a couple of flashes of brilliance here and there. But in all fairness and honesty, I said to myself, there are talented players on this New York Red Bulls team. It's not coming together this season. That we should all look to next season and worry about it then. Just sit back, 
watch the kids play, let them get their opportunities in, get a win here and there, congrats to them. If they don't, just chalk it up and say, you know what, it's next season. It's for 2022. We'll be back to a normal schedule. We will have an Open Cup season again. Everything will be honky-dory, and we're going to have some fun. That's what I was thinking about. Next thing you know, that eight-match unbeaten streak comes out of nowhere. The little hiccup at our nation's capital for D.C. United on the loss, and then the Red Bulls find a way to do it again and get a win over Montreal. Nine out of the last ten matches unbeaten for the New York Red Bulls. And now you can definitely say the New York Red Bulls are a threat. The New York Red Bulls are threatening. Don't know how far they can make the playoffs once they qualify for it. All they need is one more win. All they need is one more win, and they officially stamp their ticket to the playoffs. And they leapfrog over both Orlando City and their opponents in Atlanta United. They'll be in fifth, depending on what happens on decision day. The New York Red Bulls could be in fourth. This, my friends, is why this is a league you cannot sleep on. I understand how people are. I understand the situation. I completely understand what you believe has to be. That everything has to be promotion relegation, which I'm not against. Single table, 20 clubs in one league, period. I'm still not off that idea. But as I've always said, the point of having your own league, having your own league, is to make sure that the talent is strong and our players are doing well and our players are going to make our national team good and strong, not just in MLS, but playing abroad as well. Great show for you tonight. I have a recorded interview with Mr. John Krasinski of Pittsburgh Soccer Now, but joining me tonight from NBC Sports Soccer, this gentleman here has been covering the Premier League for NBC on their blogs and everything else on the website. The one and only Nicholas Mendela joins me. And Nicholas, good evening, and how are you? Doing really, really well. Uh, Happy to be back. Well, I'm glad to have you back on. I know it's been a while, but I have to ask you before we get to Americans in the Premier League, when did you believe that Bruce Arena has lost his magic? Come on now. Even (laughs) I knew he was going to need some time to make the New England Revolution. I will admit, not 73 points strong, but I knew he was going to work his magic with the Revolution. I mean, I'm not surprised that the team got better. Let me start there. But uh, I'm more surprised at the way he's done it with the guys he's done it with. Obviously, he had help with a very, very good uh, MLS super draft pick in in Henry Kessler. I feel like Andrew Farrell has been maybe underappreciated for some time. But 
you know, look at the LA Galaxy seasons when he was uh, before he left there. And it wasn't always glorious. And the job he did with the U.S. men's national team, um, not that Jurgen Klinsmann set him up for success, but was absolutely unspectacular. So I just thought maybe the ship has sailed. He's a great leader of men. We knew that. I mean, he's a lacrosse Hall of Famer as well. But uh, I just thought, you know, the, the good ship arena had sailed. A lot of managers, and we've seen this in the Premier League, um, it's a new era. And you have to adapt. And it, apparently he has done that. And, and I'm pretty impressed with that. So am I. I mean, I will agree with you that I think the one mistake Arena made is basically everyone's always going to talk about uh, the Trinidad and Tobago match. Obviously, um, maybe there were some mistakes against Costa Rica at Red Bull Arena. And I'm not saying they should never have played the game at Red Bull Arena because the truth is if – our players would have scored first and would have been leading that game. The Costa Rican faction would not be an issue at all. And then this whole ridiculousness of, well, we can't play at Red Bull Arena again because of how there's too many of, you know, immigrants of different nations that are in the Northeast. Well, you know what? Tough. Go and win the game. Go and show mm-hmm. why it's an American uh, stadium. And don't worry about the opposition fans that do live in the Northeast. You know, whether they come from Central America, whether they come from Mexico, you don't worry about that stuff. You play your game and you force them to stay silent. Sure. And I know we don't need to relitigate that era, but I think what happened is, you know, they obviously have that the tough loss to Mexico um, and then they get destroyed in Costa Rica. But. I think people mm-hmm. seem to forget how easily they relax. So U.S. goes and then beats Honduras 6 nothing, And I think everybody said, oh, Bruce is in control. Everything's fine. That's one of three wins he got over the next few games. And, uh, you know, obviously, you know, you draw at Panama, fine. We talk about you just have to win your games at home. You mentioned the Costa Rica loss. Um, they got the goal against Mexico from Michael Bradley from like 900 yards away. And it's the only time they threatened. And a drawn Azteca is a drawn Azteca. Believe me. I get that. But really what you're talking about is a team that beat Panama um, and just didn't do much of anything. I just thought it was a real failure. Um, I thought there's, I guess going back at it, you can't tell me that a guy who was 5-0 and at home in the last World Cup qualifying cycle wouldn't have managed three out of, three out of eight wins the rest of the way either. Um, and even with all that said, CONCACAF is so forgiving – <laughs> Danny, that we mm-hmm. have um, we have a Panama goal that shouldn't have counted. The re- real extra reason that they didn't end up, uh, you know, getting a playoff bid. That's very true. That's very very true. And of course, uh, we all know how fun Concacaf is when it gets to uh, this time of year, especially for World Cup qualification. All the guns are blazing and all the uh, antics are out for uh, full use of display, shall we say? Um, obviously, you cover the Premier League uh, with uh, NBC Sports, and you know NBC Sports ever since got the contract to produce the Premier League matches, it's been nothing short of. Um, Fantastic. It, 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 the coverage has been fantastic. Uh, Rebecca Lowe has been wonderful. You know, what can you say about Arlo White on the play-by-play? Um, Graham Lasso, of course. Uh, Dixon, Earl, uh, Musto. Now you got Tim Howard, no longer Kyle Martino. And Higginbottom sometimes goes in there as well. The, the, the broadcasts have been nothing short 
of fantastic because it feels like how the Premier League should be broadcasted on American television. Yeah, I like that from moment one, there hasn't been a, a you know, soccer 101 vibe to it. It's been, listen, we know you understand the game. You may need a little education on rivalry, like when Leeds came back up, explaining that this team that you hadn't seen in a while and in their context in the sport. But, um, you know, I love work. First of all, it's a great company to work for, and I, I appreciate, you know, my spot there. So I'm <laughs> not going to, you know, lie about that. But I also think from moment one when I wasn't working there I felt like I was treated like a soccer fan and not like some sort of oddball sitting in America getting up early to watch games even though that's what I was yeah exactly so let's talk about some of these players in the Premier League right now I think the one thing that people are happy about now is Christian Pulisic he looks like he's off the injury list right now um was I guess he was able to be on the bench for Chelsea or he's able to at least be a part of it and he got some action. How did he look? And do you think it's just in the nick of time for selection for these world cup qualification games in November? Yeah. I mean, it, it's good to see pictures and photos of him running around and, and being back in training with the Chelsea boys. It's going to be a good spot for him to ease his way back into the pool with, uh, with Malmo uh, or excuse me, against Malmo in the Champions League this week. And, of course, there will be a Premier League game at the weekend before. I'd be happy to see him for 15 to 20 minutes in both games just to know that he's coming through action and coming through. You know, Malmo uh, isn't a terrific team, but they're certainly not a bad team. And being able to measure yourself up in that instance before perhaps, look, if you can get two sub spots or one longer run in those games, I'd be very excited at the prospect of him featuring maybe for the United States, because we know he's in, he's been in pain. He, he would go to a certain point in his rehab and it would not flare up, but there was just a point he couldn't get past. Well, obviously now he's gotten past that. So I believe he's tried to, knowing him, the competitor that he is, he would have done his best to keep his fitness up. And now the test is uh, responding to game action at a high level. Now, Josh Sargent is with Norwich, and look, I want him to be on the national team. I want him to start. I want him to go out and dominate, but I, I don't know if he's an enigma right now for Norwich or just, just his style is an enigma for Greg Berhalter's plans. Uh, is he also considered for selection for these November games? Will he be used or will he be just remaining in England after, during the international break and stay home? Yeah, I think that's a very interesting point. They left him out last time along with Jordan Pifok, but they also, uh, Berhalter also said he thought it was a matchup situation more than anything else. And uh, Sargent had a rough week a couple weeks ago. He's been putting himself in position to score, but he's, he's flat out missed it. I think with him, he is in a, an odd situation. I don't blame him for taking the jump to the Premier League. He assessed his suitors coming out of Werder Bremen. Uh, going down to two Bundesliga wasn't a great idea. We've seen a number of American strikers succeed there. So uh, he probably looked at it as a chance to go on a team that will need a striker and play. But just like Bremen, they don't have the ball a lot, and his job is to get nuts, really, to really hassle um, the back line. And, and, and so that works for him, but he's not getting a chance to really be in possession and make incisive runs. And, and the, the difference here is when he goes to the United States, in most of these games, they will be the team with possession. And it's less about frenetically pressuring the other team um, and more about breaking down a team designed to stifle you. So 
you know, I'll be interested to see what Greg Berhalter's call is. There are guys we know he's going to bring in. Um, he's going to have to account for the fact that Pulisic is coming back and coming off of fitness. So I wouldn't be surprised to see an extra forward in the pool just in case things don't work out with him. Will that be Sargent? I don't know um, because it was a, a bit of a weird call up last time and it didn't really work. <laughs> so let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll see what happens. And like I said, I'm rooting for Sargent to be on this national team. Um, to me personally, I don't know if he fits what Greg wants. As you said, it's a matchup situation why he wasn't in the October qualifier. So we'll have to wait and see on that one. Now, I want to say this, and you know, I've been getting a little bit of flack on, on Twitter about it. And you'll know where I'm coming with this. And that's, of course, Zach Steffen at Manchester City. I understand he's playing for one of the top clubs in the world, one of the top clubs in England. It doesn't matter who it is, whether it's Man United, Man City, um, Arsenal, well, maybe not now these days, but, you know, Liverpool, uh, Chelsea, you know, the big boy clubs that are in England. And I'm not, I'm not doubting how he plays in goal. I may have a question or two, but I don't doubt how he plays in goal. And I know he's still young. He's only 26. But why is it that because he's playing in the Premier League, that he had to start a qualifier, yet he's not a full-time starter at Manchester City, and it's Ederson from Brazil that is the starter for uh, Pep Guardiola? Well, I, I think this. Remember last year he played 12 games, including a championship or a Champions League game, excuse me, uh, for Manchester City. And while that meant just one game in the Premier League and uh, the entire runs of the FA Cup and the, and the League Cup, it's a situation where he's not being treated, and Pep Guardiola does this, but this isn't an instance where he's the backup and he's never going to play. Um, he's had to deal with COVID this season. There have been some other issues, Ederson being rushed back, so that's why he played a Premier League game this year. So we'll see where Pep Guardiola is leaning with him now. But one of my arguments has been for a long time is once a player has established himself as a sharp player, as a regular starter, um, especially in goal, especially in goal, knowing that he's training at the highest level with these players uh, overseas it, it isn't as much of a concern with me. People talk about Ricardo Pepe in a World Cup qualifying, you know, going over in theory to Germany and what's, what's it going to be like? How's he going to adapt? What if he's not playing regularly? Well, he's training with better players than he's playing against. That will be the key. Um, if you go to a Champions League club like Wolfsburg. So with Stefan, yes, of course, I'd rather see him playing all the time. We saw that with Fortuna Dusseldorf. I don't believe that as long as he's getting his couple of games a month, no, it's not every week, but also let's face it, um, MLS is going to be off during some of these qualifiers. So some of these players in MLS won't be playing at all. And so if Greg Berhalter is going to abide by that and only call up European players, say, in January, that'll be a different story. But I guess I just don't get the consternation. Matt Turner has been fantastic, and I was a slow adopter of his status, and now I, you know, I absolutely buy in. You can argue that him and Carl's Gill are the reason that Bruce Arena has had his most success, right up, right up at the back and up top. But um, you know, maybe having an alternative now in Turner – uh, and knowing that he's passing every test put in front of him for the most part, maybe now that does change whether Stefan gets a start. Yeah, I agree because I mean, like I said, I mean, I'm not against Stefan start. <laughs> Excuse me, <clears throat> I'm not against Stefan starting, but my problem is is that if he's not the starter at Man City match in match out, I worry about 
not so much fitness, but more match fitness. Uh, that's what I'm more concerned about. And the, and the goal he allowed within the first two, three minutes of that match in Columbus, that really frightened me. That really scared me because we all know Costa Rica's national team, they're past their prime. They're not as good as they once were. And I felt that's a free chance. And that free chance should never been given by the USA, including by Zach Steffen, how he left his line, how he left his area. And then he had to rush back to reset and he got scored on. Yeah, I think I think that's entirely fair. Do I think that's a matter of match sharpness or just a bad decision in a in a high leverage in a high uh, intensity position? Um, I guess I got, I kind of want to give him the benefit of the doubt there, the same way that we would with Matt Turner or any other player. Yes, Zach Steffen has felt the pressure of playing for Man City in some very big games, uh, including a uh, a League Cup final that they won over Spurs last year. And again, that run, I, I should point out. Um, if we're going to talk about whether he should be trusted to play sparingly for the United States, well, Pep Guardiola trusted him to play sparingly against Arsenal, Manchester United, and then Spurs. Um, he had played very rarely, not exactly weekly, but you know, every other week, once every three weeks. And if that's the same case for the U.S., I could make that argument. Um, but I also think we have to be very careful how we adjust. I mean, this is still a guy who, because of the Burhalter connection and because, you know, he went to Freiburg, we, we, Freiburg, we really monitor his start from a young age. Um, 24 caps is not a hundred caps when 15 of them are friendlies. Um, this is, you know, these are the highest, um, take away the gold cup. I guess it would have been 2019, uh, and the Nations League final, which he checked out of with injury, he has not been in a lot of these positions. So this is his first World Cup qualifier, too. And let's not forget that. That was his first World Cup qualifier. And, uh, you know, I know I'm rambling a little bit here, but don't forget that Greg Berhalter has stressed the importance of having everybody in the team. Like, that's why he felt comfortable starting George Bellow at left back, because he wanted to say you have a World Cup qualifier start under your back. And maybe he meant to do that with Stefan um, you know, but the coronavirus stopped that from happening in September. And maybe he would have gone to Turner three times if that was the case, but he just felt like this was his chance to get him out there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, we'll see what happens then. Um, real of quick, course. obviously, uh, NBC Sports Network will be done at the end of uh, this calendar year. So it looks like Premier League action will be moved to USA Network, uh, still on NBC National, and, of course, the Peacock app. Uh, love the app. But um, it's kind of sad to see NBCSN go. What did you think about that news? Yeah, you know, I don't know that I'm qualified to make the analysis on that. Um, but it's mm-hmm. been it's been a cool place to watch games for such a long time. Um, you know, and I watched plenty of hockey on there as well as a Buffalo boy. But I can tell you this: mm-hmm. it's um, you know the USA Network is better. For, I'm going to guess it's going to be better for the Premier League. I mean that's a that's going to be on more television. It's going to be on a different tier, and I'm excited about that. So again, I'm not qualified to discuss it. I wasn't part of the decision, and I'm reacting it to the same mm-hmm. way that a lot of you are. But I, I think it's going to be a net positive. Uh, we'll see what happens. But I'll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> I'll miss it for sure. That that well, I will. I thought you know the, the quality that NBC. This is my belief. No, nothing against CBS. They've done a very good job with some of the properties they are running. ESPN's done been doing this for a long, long time. But I, I just believe that NBC gives better quality when you're discussing the game that they have. Whatever games that they are contracted to do, 
I feel they do an excellent job, and of course you're part of their family, so um, you know it's a good job from them. Well, I mean, it's going to be the uh, same. But let's now, point out, let's, mm-hmm. let's just point out. I mean, it's going to be the same people. You know, it's going to be you're going to get yeah. you know Arlo and Rebecca and all that, and it's just a matter of, of of flipping on a different station, and it's a station that's going to be in a lot more houses. So I get how you're feeling. I, I am not a fan of uh, change in general, but that's because I'm an old man, and uh, I, <laughs> I'm I think this one will work out just fine. You're an old man. I'm climbing up there, so don't worry. We're both in the same boat. But anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> I want you to indulge me now because my favorite Premier League team is Manchester United. Sure. So you can tell me. You can tell me right now, because I know there are a lot of Man United supporters of today that wants to see Ole Gunnar Solskjaer sacked and. So far, the club has given them three matches to do so within these next three weekends. The question is this, and I know he, I know he beat Tottenham 3-0 at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, and then, of course, the next match will be against Manchester City in the Derby. Um, not, I keep forgetting who the third one is, but that's not important right now. But do you think Ole is going to survive this, or do you think – there's going to be a big uh, rut in the uh, ice that he'll slip and fall. Uh, if he survives this, you're not going to win anything. I mean, that's just the way it is. He's fine. He may, you may get a one-off win in a, in a league cup or an FA cup. You may, you may pick up that sort of silverware, but you're not going to win the premier league with him and you're not going to win the champions league. He is not going to outbox a top class manager who's managing a top-class team of talents. Manchester United has assembled um, the ingredients to win. Rafael Varane is a world-class center back. Um, Paul Pogba, who's not even being played right now, is a world-class center mid. Uh, Ronaldo, I'm, you know, I, I'm a messy guy. If we had to make that comparison, it's not an either-or proposition, but he is a phenomenal talent and a great finisher. Rashford's wonderful. Bruno Fernandes is an elite midfielder. But that's the point throw one of us in there as long as the players respect us as we're making the decision as long as there's enough respect out there for us choosing the lineup and I can't you can't tell me that too many of the other decisions um, or any of the decisions that he's made wouldn't have worked for somebody else I, I, I just think when all else is equal when a team of Manchester United's talent is going up to an equal talent and not a Tottenham team which by the way was slipping and is slipping and has now changed their manager. If you were to walk up to Manchester United and Tottenham fans and and ask yourself this as as a supporter of Man United, walk up to a group of them before the United and Tottenham game and said, the loser gets Antonio Conte. What's the answer going to be? Well, I hope we lose. It should be. Um, And I would go as far as to say that Conte, uh, assuming that he gets to buy the people that he wants, should he be hired by Tottenham tomorrow as expected, um, I would expect them to have an edge on Man United as they try to climb into the top four. So then let me Sorry. ask you this. No, you're fine. No, no, and no. I picked listen, United, listen, I picked I United to finish second this year. Yeah, I picked United to finish second this year. Um, I thought that they would be, finish with potentially a better record than Chelsea and both below Man City. So who am I? No, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, you're Nicholas. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Thank you, thank you. Yeah. No, yeah, I want Nick an Mandola, honest answer. I, I, that's correct. That's very true. No, I wanted an honest answer because, you know, look, look, I'll admit, 
out of when I started watching the Premier League after the 94 World Cup and I became a Manchester United fan, not because of the names that were on the back of the shirts. It was but more because, because they were the only team that know, were on TV every week in the U.S. <laughs> that's correct. Like in the 90s. In the true. 90s, yeah. You got Man United every week. <laughs> exactly. How can you go wrong? <laughs> but I will say this, though. My Manchester United shirt, and I, actually my uncle used to work for Pepsi, and he was, he was in England on business, and he asked me, what, uh, what, what soccer jersey you want? I said, Man United, and he got me the old Umbro one with the, uh, during Sir Alex Ferguson's years. It's the, the big uh, sewn-in um, uh, crest patch in the middle with the sharp mm-hmm. advertisement below it. And I got it customized in the States, in New Jersey, I think near Hoboken. And my favorite player, not David Beckham, not Giggs, not Keane, you know, no one like that. My favorite player is Ole Gunnar Skolshar because he was the super sub. He was the super sub. I I will never forget any time Man United needed a goal, during the Sir Alex Ferguson days, he was ready. He goes in there, and he puts the ball in the back of the net. And I'll never forget the Champions League final against Bayern Munich. Down 1-0. You go to second-half stoppage time. He's the one that equalized to make it 1-1. Then, of course, Teddy Sheringham makes it 2-1 uh, right afterwards. But it was his goal to level the match at 1 and either force – I don't know if he still had extra time back in those days – or went straight to penalties, but damn it, Ole is my guy. <laughs> He's if a he sensational sacked, player. He was. He was. If he gets sacked, I understood. But if he finds a way to fix whatever needs to be fixed, I don't know. He'll probably become a genius, and maybe it's a combination during these poor times with him and maybe the front office. I don't know. But hopefully, I hope he finds a way that rights the ship and he remains. If not, so be it. Yeah, and, and listen, he seems like a nice guy. I, I hope that, and he's certainly a Man United hero. And if it works out for him, great. We have another world-class manager to, to bandy about. And if it works out for him, he may stay there for, for 10 years if they let him. And, and those things are fine. I just don't buy it. I think, you know, he's had two tremendous unbeaten runs, one when he was the interim boss and one in the middle of, I guess it would have been last season. Um, but beyond that, mm-hmm. how many times, how many times have you really felt like, oh, he outfoxed the opposition? A good Derby record too. So maybe this week becomes the one that that gets him through at least the end of the season. Um, you know, can he take care of an Atlanta team that arguably he could have lost to already? Can he take care of Man City as well? Because if he were to take seven to nine points out of these these nine points that were on hand for him, um, you got to clap him up. I just don't think long term he's a guy who's going to win you multiple rounds of the Champions League or, or outfox a Klopp, Guardiola, yeah. or Tuchel, or Conte now uh, on a week-to-week basis. And I'll agree with you on that. He really has to show that you know he's learned from his mistakes because if he doesn't, I agree with you, he's going to get sacked, and it's, he can't survive too much longer like this. You just cannot play heart attack soccer at all just just can't do it nick nicholas thank you so much for your time i really do appreciate it and join me again hope to have you back on again soon and uh enjoy uh the champions league and enjoy the next weekend and then let's see what happens to the usa and uh, world cup qualification 
Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. Thanks for having me on, friend. No problem. Thank you. Nicholas Mendela of NBC Sports Soccer joining me tonight to talk about the situation, of course, with what's been going on with men, with the U.S. players uh, in the Premier League and, of course, other moments as well. Uh, once again, my next guest through recording is Mr. Uh, John Krasinski of Pittsburgh Soccer Now. The craziness of the goal that was legitimate taken away because of an extra touch by the defense in Miami. Then it was called a goal kick as per laws of the game, but only on the first back pass, not the second. And, of course, USL Championship demanding that there would be a replay of this match at the 67th minute, and they allowed the goal to stand after it was taken away. Here he is right now on the situation. Daniel Foyusin here. Welcome back to the American Soccer Show as we talk about the great stuff that goes on in American soccer. Talking about now the most weirdest thing that's ever happened in USL Championship, and that, of course, involves the Pittsburgh Riverhounds. I have on with me John Krasinski of Pittsburgh Soccer now, covering everything Pittsburgh soccer, including the Riverhounds of USL Championship. John, good evening, and how are you? I'm great. I'm great. How are you? Doing very well. Thank you for coming on and doing this. Um, you know, we, I know you have seen many, many crazy, silly things that happen in uh, lower division soccer, uh, anything and everything that also involves the River Hounds and the U.S. Open Cup. Um, but this is probably one of the most strangest things that I have ever seen, and many have also have seen, and it's kind of gotten the Pittsburgh soccer fans a bit irate because a goal that looked legitimate got yeah. taken away by the referee. What, is the, what, what happened here, and do you know of the law that pertains to that? Well, I don't want to get too technical, but, yeah, obviously, um, you know, I'm covering the game. I'm watching the match, and uh, there's – it's a tight contest. It's Miami and Pittsburgh. And one interesting thing about the USL Championship this year is divisional play. Four, each team plays each other four times. So this is the fourth time Pittsburgh and Miami have played in this moment. Uh, they're in the 67th minute, and it, nobody has scored. And that in itself was interesting because both teams, um, you know, especially Miami, Miami likes to get forward fast. They've got a lot of really good athletes. They they can, you know, they can strike quickly. There's a lot very dangerous team, especially in in transition, and and um, they're just, they're they're a tough team. And they've been a really difficult matchup for the Riverhounds this year. Which, if you know anything about the Pittsburgh Riverhounds, four years now, Bob Lilly has been the head coach. Bob Lilly in American soccer landscape has been known for, you know, he's won championships at the second division level with uh, the. Vancouver Whitecaps, he's won with Montreal, he's won with the Rochester Rhinos, so he came to Pittsburgh four years ago, uh, and the, the Hounds have been a perennial playoff team under his watch, and, and they've been a top, more than a first, second, or third place type team uh, in the USL Championship, whether it's the Eastern Conference, whether it's in the, the, the way it's set up with the divisions now, but anyway, in this highly contested match, the Hounds are finally getting back to defending well. It's a 0-0 match, and Miami uh, has a restart. In their uh, defensive third, the ball is uh, it's actually touched twice, 
the second touch, Speedy Williams, who's actually a, a former Pittsburgh College area player. Uh, Speedy Williams um, used to play at Robert Morris University. Plays the ball back to the keeper, Connor Sparrow from Miami, and somehow Sparrow just kind of misconnects or doesn't. <laughs> I mean, he just. I don't think he's whips on it. I think he just he's kind of caught off guard, and the ball goes into goal. And it, at that moment, the scoreboard goes, you know, on the USL television broadcast feed, goes one nothing Riverhounds. Everyone's, oh, the Riverhounds have just scored. But the official walks over to the AR, goes to have a little discussion, and then after that they take the goal away and award the Riverhounds with a corner kick which I guess the, the rule of that law, is, as I understand it, is if you play the ball in indirect and it goes into your own goal, it would, you know, off the first touch, it could be then the other team would get a corner. However, there's obviously clearly a second touch so, uh, involved here, and Speedy Williams was not the, didn't play the restart. It, um, I'm trying to remember who came I think he came off of... Um, uh, anyway, another player's foot to, to initiate the restart. Um, so, yeah, and the, the ref's name, Jonathan Belinsky, uh, you know, he, he's been he, – he, he, him and his crew, um, well, obviously, so what happens is obviously the game ends nil-nil. The Hounds are upset after the Hound fan base, as you, you mentioned, are very upset. Uh, and a couple of days goes by, and we figure, you know what, the ref screwed up. Um, and that was that, and we just have to move on. But what was very, very interesting was pro referees came out with a statement within, I don't know, it was about three days after the match, basically coming out saying, we screwed up. The officiating crew messed up, and they won't be, their next assigned match, they will be pulled. They will not be officiating that match. Which, again, we thought, okay, well, you know, there's that, and that's that's just, Okay, it's good that they admitted it, and you know we'll probably just move on. You know, um, and obviously the Hounds were fighting for second place. They they couldn't overcome Tampa Bay Rowdies for first, but they were fighting for second place. And this match between them and Miami, you know, both teams are real close in the standings, and of course the Charlotte Independent uh, were were just ahead of both of them. So there we are. And then by Friday, after the game was played on a Saturday, the 16th. So then Friday. The league, um, the USL championship, then comes down and uh, makes an announcement that, you know, that the game would be replayed starting in the 67th minute, and they would replay the match the following Wednesday, I believe was the uh, 20, I'm just uh, all over the place with my dates, I think it was the 27th. That's correct. Of yeah, so, so there you go. I mean, that's kind of in a nutshell. So they replay the match with the Hounds, awarding the Hounds the goal, of course, and and starting from the 67th minute. So as you and I were talking before we went on recording, I said, you know, I'm a, I grew up in the New York area, uh, and I was a big Yankee fan, like yourself. Uh, and the first thing that came to my mind was the, the Pine Tar game, you know, where the, the Yankees and the, the, the Royals were playing, and George Brett hit a home run, you know, the, the – Billy Martin came out, the manager of the Yankees, and said, hey, you know, this, this bat's got too much pine tar on it. The umpires looked at it. They assessed it. They said, yes, this bat has too much pine tar. This home run doesn't count. Hmm. And then George Brett comes out. He's running. He's freaking out. It's just a famous video clip. 
just look it up on YouTube, you'll find it. And uh, it was quite uh, an incredible moment. But then the that the, the Royals protested the game, and it was upheld by the American League. And I don't need to go into the whole details, but the Royals got a chance, and they re, they replayed the last inning of the game, where right after Brett hit the home run, just to complete the game, and of course the Yankees lost. But so that was what came to my mind immediately. But uh, in, in terms of, you know, we've seen a lot of crazy things happen with Pittsburgh soccer in the last five or six or seven years. In my time, I have been covering them and been around the scene here for over 20-plus years. Um, but this this is definitely up there. It's one of the craziest things that's ever happened. So I think I that's all, pretty much all of it in a nutshell. And that was the right thing to do by USL Championship, that uh, have the match replayed. Uh, honestly... I thought the whole thing was going to get replayed from start to finish, but for them to start off in the 67th minute with the Riverhounds having the goal, um, that I, to me, I think that's the brilliant thing to do, and the USL Championship righted a wrong. I, I know Pro saying that this crew will not officiate their next match. I, I can understand the fans being, ho- you know, feel like it's hollow because it costed them two points. Uh, at yeah. the time, but, you know, look, I think if you think about it, USL Championship League got it correct. Uh, pro, even though it did happen, uh, that the uh, officiating crew really screwed up and it should never have happened, I think they did it correct as well. So, in in all cases, Pittsburgh got the goal. The match continued, but did Pittsburgh win the match, or uh, was it a draw, or did Miami win it? Yeah, so I, I obviously it feels anticlimactic right now because, well, um, I'll get to that in a second. But yes, they did. They did hold on. It was a real weird match. Uh, Miami was just throwing numbers forward, like like it, the keeper was had midfield with numerous points. It was just a wild match in terms of Miami pushing numbers forward. The Riverhounds just kind of holding their ground and just, um, you know, bunkering in and, and putting numbers behind the ball. But but then countering, and there was so much space, and it was like every time they got forward, there was a foul. It was it got real chippy, and it was a weird, wild 23 minutes. And at the end of it, the Hounds held on for that one nothing decision, which obviously was the difference. And helped them to get to a point where last night, Saturday night, the last – game of the regular season, they had a chance to, if they beat um, Hartford and Charlotte either tied or lost, they could have moved into second place, which was crucial in the USL Championship now, because if you finish in third in your division, you got to go on the road. If you finish second, you're at home. And, you know, this was, I think the Riverhounds, it was a worthwhile investment to take a midweek trip to, or at least they felt that it was really a worthwhile investment. Because you know, you know what, I don't know what expenses are like for a USL division, a second division club to have to charter or not, or not charter, but get on a plane, travel midweek, do all that to go to Miami, you know, for a yep. midweek game. I mean, it's an expense. I don't know how they, you know, I mean, obviously the owner, Tuffy Schallenberger and, they, they had enough resources to, I guess, in USL. I don't know if USL helped with that or what, how that got figured out, but it happened, and they traveled down, and maybe it's a sign that this, these leagues, you know, there's a certain a level of 
you know, that a certain level of ownership and resources that teams have to be able to do that. Because um, if you go back five, six, seven, eight years, you know, second, third division teams don't have the resources. To, I think we're going to struggle to go back to Miami. Yep. Uh, for, you know, playing, you know, all of that, the travel expenses or whatnot to replay a game. So I think that was very, that in itself was very interesting. But it turns out the Hounds ended up drawing uh, against Hartford last night and Charlotte draw, draw, drew too. But anyway, Charlotte ends up getting second place. So at the end of the day, I think it's about the integrity, um, the integrity of the league and the officiating and getting it right. I think more than anything else, but in the long run, it might have been a little bit of a, you know, that extra trip, that extra travel. The Hounds were not sharp at all last night. And I wonder, I do wonder if that extra travel took something out of him uh, just to play a 23-minute game and then come back and need to pick up three points on Saturday, and they, they couldn't, they just couldn't do it. They were not sharp, especially in the final third, and they played a 0-0 game last night. So, I mean, they'll, they'll hit the reset button. The playoffs start this coming week, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, we'll see what happens there. But, you know, it's a good thing. Riverhounds, they stamped their uh, tickets for the playoffs, and let's see what happens uh, going down the road. And, you know, like I said, you know, we're used to seeing replays, not so much, I guess, in league competition, but more like FA Cup competition, Open Cup we yeah. rarely see a replay. I mean, we can go back to the Chesapeake Dragons many, many years ago. We can actually, and here's the one thing, we had a possible opportunity for a replay between, at the time, LAFC and the Portland Timbers because Portland's protest was about an eligible player because of the international player rules that they had one player too many. And that was, I think, Mark Anthony K. because of him being a Canadian citizen you know, he wasn't oh, yeah. an American player. So, but unfortunately, U.S. soccer forces Portland to withdraw their protest, and there's no replay of that quarterfinal matchup. And, you know, that's the one problem we have. It's like, listen, it has to be done fairly. If there was a mistake, there's a mistake, and it has to be replayed. There's no doubt about it. And I give credit to USL uh, Championship as well as up at the top at USL offices in Tampa for saying we have to have a replay. It's got to start at the 67th minute so we can officially end with the Riverhounds leading by a goal to nil. Yeah. Yeah, and I think everyone in these parts, you know, the Pittsburgh fans, I think there's a loyal, loyal group of fans, mostly with the Steel Army uh, and surrounding them. They're not fools. They know the game really well. They're they're up on top of everything, and you know they—they, I think just they felt the sense of, you know, they they felt the sense of appreciation that, you know, that that they got it right. I think everyone here was surprised that the USL mm-hmm. took that extra step and replayed the game. Yeah. So I just think that that the fan base here is not—we don't have this huge mainstream huge fan base uh, people are coming in droves to go to Riverhounds games, but there's a good core group of soccer fans here, and I think they, uh, you know, after years of seeing a lot of different ups and downs and um, issues with officiating or just the way the league is run, I think there's a certain sense of appreciation for the way it was handled. 
I agree. And it's a great job from the league office. And uh, hopefully uh, this type of uh, error will not happen again. I know USL at the time was the, uh, the guinea pigs for the start of VAR. And I know it's going to be mostly in MLS. But do you think VAR should be in play for USL Championship as well as League One, even yeah, though I, it's – yep. I can't see why not. I mean, if the contract with ESPN, every match is televised on ESPN+. Plus. And, and if to that level, I mean, you know, I follow the college soccer scene pretty closely myself now, especially with Pitt being so good now. And they, they're using the VAR in, on the college level. And, you know, it, there's been some controversial moments, even just watching some matches this year. But most of the time they get it right. Uh, I would say, why not? I mean, I think, why, what's the difference? You know, they're, they're both. The college has the ability for the replay, and some of those telecasts, those broadcasts that we watch on streaming services are, you know, not – I don't even think they're at the same capability, uh, technical – I think they're a little bit better. The USL across the board matches are a a little bit better technically than some of the college matches. Some of the college matches you still might watch as one camera, Mm -hmm. maybe two. Maybe two, depending on where, you know, it's an ACC higher level. But some of these other schools are running one camera feeds. Maybe, maybe lucky to have two cameras. Um, my point being is that, you know, you have a little bit more tech, technology uh, capability, but the Division One level, they're doing it. So, you know, why not? Why not USL championship? I mean, exactly. And I agree with yeah. you there. And uh, hopefully USL will be able to uh, – move back into the VAR business and uh, get the technology in there. I mean, why not? You can build a room. It's not a big deal. Or, you know, you can build something to house uh, VAR officials so that they can, uh, you know, at least give them time if they're brand new to it. Let them officiate the VAR and USL Championship. And if they do get their opportunity in MLS, then there will be pros that and they're not worried about it. So, why not have VAR and USL Championship? John, listen, thank you for your time. I appreciate well, it. I hope you have a good well, evening, and uh, good luck with the rest of the season with the Riverhounds. All right. Thank you for having me. It's been, been fun to, be, uh, to talk about Pittsburgh soccer on a forum like yours. Thank you. Have a good night. All right. Thank you. That is John Krasinski of Pittsburgh Soccer Now covering the Pittsburgh Riverhounds and all soccer in the Pittsburgh area. Um, You know, once again, I think we all know it's Steelers town, Pirates town, Penguins town, and everything else like that. But you know what? Uh, You know, give respect to the people who love the game of soccer, love the game of football, as there are real fans in the Steel City, and hopefully I can get over there one day and uh, check out a game, whether it be uh, Red Bulls 2 or uh, New York Red Bulls matching an Open Cup game. We'll see what happens if they ever get um, drawn to that. So we'll see what happens there. <coughs> Excuse me. And, um, you know, you got to give them credit. And what also makes me proud, regardless of what the setup is. I'm very happy that they have their own stadium. It's not far away uh, from 
an area where there are hotels, there are businesses, there is the local um, flight rail stations, uh, one of those, I don't know if you call it a train or a tram or anything like that, but I do know that there's one of those inclined elevators. Like if you ever go to Quebec City, you go, you're at the top of the hill, and then when you enter, it goes all the way down a track, and then you can exit. That's what they have over in Pittsburgh too. Um, it's not too far away, I don't believe, but I know that the light rail system that they have that does serve the uh, the Pittsburgh downtown area, you know, it's very, very important. And, um, you know, like I said, I'm happy that they have uh, their stadium, Highmark Stadium. It's along the banks of one of the three rivers. Uh, I think it's along the Allegheny, but I could be wrong. I want to – I'll double-check that. But, you know, Highmark Stadium, no matter what size the capacity is, and yes, unfortunately, it's field turf. It's not – natural turf surface but once again i'm just happy that the river hounds have their own stadium and that they get a good amount of people if you ever watch them on espn plus on usl championship games it is an absolute joy to see them do that and to have to see them have their own uh stadium over there it's really great it looks wonderful and uh like i said it's just a wonderful time uh, if you're going to be supporting soccer in a town like Pittsburgh and uh, in the, within the surrounding areas. So all you can say is, is that it's going to be fantastic. Now I'm just going to give you some news. Uh, <clears throat> on the weekend of November 20th and 21st, which will be the weekend after, of course, um, when be after the weekend after, of course, the international break, U.S. Open Cup qualifying continues on. Six spots will be claimed. Five more will be remaining. A grand total of 11 spots to enter the opening round of the 2022 Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup for the draw. Here are those games being played that weekend. Third round of qualifying up next. In the southeast, Florida Soccer Soldiers will be hosting Red Force FC. Georgia Revolution Reserves will be hosting the South Carolina United Heat. Inter Soccer Association will be hosting City Soccer FC. And finally, Orlando FC Wolves will be hosting Miami Soccer Academy. The winners will advance to the final round of qualification in the southeast in December. In the West, Battleboro FC will be hosting San Francisco Metro FC. El Farolita will be hosting Contra Costa FC after finally playing their match for the third time due to the fact that there was problems either through officials getting to the game or just not having a field prepared and ready to go. Escondido FC hosting Chula Vista FC. Outbreak FC taking on and hosting Capistrano FC. Sir San Fernando Valley FC will be taking on Desert Communities FC. Sporting D 
excuse me, Sporting ID 11 hosting Inter San Francisco. And in the Northeast in the third round, Lynchburg FC hosting FC Maritza. Northern Virginia FC hosting Districtonia Football. Philadelphia Lone Star FC hosting Brockton FC United. Westchester United FC hosting Oyster Bay United. And the Long Island Club will be heading to Brewster, New York. Take the transfer over at Grand Central Terminal. And head up on the Harlem line to Brewster High School for that opportunity. Lynch and in the uh, Central, the final two matches for those two spots. Azteca FC hosting Harpo's FC. And finally, Southwest Football Club hosting Defeaters Kicks SC. Follow all the updates on Twitter through usopencup.com's Twitter uh, account from the cup.us. This should be a very fun and interesting big-time third round. Final round for both the Northeast and the Central. In the Northeast, four spots are up and available. In the Central, two spots are up and available. One more round for both the Southwest and the West. Excuse me, the Southeast and the West. And those will be the remaining five spots available. And then hopefully we will find out what's going to happen in December. And if we're going to broadcast that or not, I'll let you guys know. But for now, we'll definitely inform you about six sides that could qualify for the U.S. Open Cup. Now, once again, time for the... Red Bull segment, two matches were played once again. And that is, of course, on the road at DC United midweek and then at home against Club de Foot Montreal. And let's start over over in our nation's capital. This is the second time within a year that the New York Red Bulls have not won nor scored a goal at Audi Field. The truth is, the Red Bulls didn't play well. But when they did right the ship, it was basically bunker in and let Hamid save your rear ends. That's what it looked like to me. And all I can tell you is this, and this is what I can say about it. That's not a strategy I would be, you know, hoping for. But it does work when you're taking on a pressing team and the team that also counterpresses. But I will say this. It was another early goal given up by the Red Bulls against DC United, a moment that should never have happened once again. But sadly it did. And unfortunately, after going eight games unbeaten, it all fell apart. And in a match like that, you would expect the Red Bulls to at least knock in another goal, or at least knock in a goal 
to tie it up at one each. Oh, excuse me. That did not happen. And that was a worrying sign because then all the hard work the Red Bulls have done to dig themselves out of the giant hole that they put themselves into to knock them out of the playoff positioning, you wondered if they were going to be able to get back up there. Did they find a way to lose? Did they find a way to fall apart at the wrong time? Well, ladies and gentlemen, they did not fall apart. They basically decided to mentally wipe that out of their heads. They decided to move forward, move on, and they found a way, found a way against a club like Montreal who are also fighting, also fighting to get back into a playoff spot or at least get into a playoff spot. And the Red Bulls were being outworked after the opening five, ten minutes of this match on Saturday. And then they finally turned it on. Wiki Carmona had an opportunity, couldn't do anything. Caden Clark came up huge in that game coming off the bench after so many matches missed or not being back to his regular playing style due to the appendectomy that he had to have, the emergency appendectomy that he had to have. To me, looked like finally the Caden Clark of old was back. He was back, he was assisting, he was doing big things. Big, big things. And all you can say is, thank goodness. Thank goodness for Caden Clark coming in and giving the energy that this Red Bull team needed. Great job, Christian Casares Jr. as well, showing to be dangerous Having an opportunity, he nailed the post, unfortunately, but he still had an opportunity and did some wonderful things. For the New York Red Bulls right now, for the New York Red Bulls right now, they need to continue to attack and attack and attack and keep on going. And it's not just what they're going to do in midweek against Atlanta. It's also what they're going to do in the final weekend of the regular season and how they have to defeat Nashville to move up into hosting a playoff game. And that depends on if New York City FC will lose that last match. Because right now, for the Red Bulls, you must keep up the momentum. You must keep up and attack and do wonderful things with the ball, And if you have to win by a goal to nil, so be it. But do not allow yourself to fall apart at the wrong time. Do not. 
because that goal from Fabio that was brilliantly set up not just by a strong cross by Patrick Lamala, a header pass by Caden Clark who found Fabio onside, flick header to the goal with enough on the ball to not only deflect it off the shoulder of the defender, beats Brezza in goal, and it floats over everything into the back of the net harmfully, and the New York Red Bulls celebrating inside second half stoppage time, a one goal to nil lead. And then it was one goal to nil to finish the match, and everything was right in the world today. Unbelievable. Unbelievable what we have witnessed and what we have seen. Just amazing to watch. Gerhard Struber has this team running wild. And now, let us go to the standings of the Eastern Conference. If the Red Bulls do win this Wednesday night against Atlanta United, because as of right now, here is how it all shapes up. New England Revolution, once again, Sporter Shield winners, 73 points, the most that any club has ever had in MLS. They could go 74 or 76 to finish off the regular season. In second place, the Philadelphia Union have clinched a playoff spot. Second place, 53 points. Nashville also, 53 points. They've clinched a playoff spot there in third. New York City FC has clinched a playoff spot. They are currently in fourth. The next three to clinch right now, Orlando in sixth, Atlanta United. And, of course, in seventh, your New York Red Bulls. Below the playoff line is D.C. United in eighth, Columbus Crew in ninth, Montreal in tenth. And you don't have to worry about the next four because Miami, Chicago, Toronto, and Cincinnati have been eliminated from playoff contention. So, as of right now, this match in hand between the Red Bulls and and Atlanta United as well as the match in hand by Club de Foot Montreal. Montreal. They also have a match in hand, as I've said already. Work is still to be done. Because here's the situation for the New York Red Bulls right now. They win their match over Atlanta United. Not only do they leapfrog Atlanta for sixth, they leapfrog over Orlando for fifth, which would mean they would have 49 points, Orlando with 48, and Atlanta with 47. A draw will not help them that much. But you never know it might. But you need the full three points to clinch that spot. So... Once again, Red Bulls win. They leapfrog Orlando and Atlanta respectively. They'll move to fifth. Orlando to sixth, Atlanta to seventh. And then for the New York Red Bulls, 
They have one match remaining against Nashville. And if the New York Red Bulls do defeat Nashville and New York City FC's opponent is going to be, if I can just quickly look it up right here, at home against the Philadelphia Union, could you imagine the first ever New York Derby playoff match? Who would have thunk it? I was hoping for it. Maybe somewhere down the line later. But this would be the very first time, if it does happen, that the Rebels and New York City FC will host each other in the playoffs. And how delicious would it be? Because that would mean if Philadelphia Union either defeats or draws New York City FC, and if the Red Bulls get 49 points, all they would have to do is get a win. If NYCFC earns 50 or 51 points and the Red Bulls defeat Nashville, but of course first defeating Atlanta, but if they defeat Atlanta, the Red Bulls, and then they're going to defeat Nashville, the Red Bulls will jump from 46 to 49, then from 49 to 52 points which means New York City must lose or draw against the Union. That's the only way New York City FC will lose the home playoff game. But if they win and the Red Bulls win outright, the match will be at Yankee Stadium. So there is a lot to play for here. There is a lot to play for here. So we'll just have to wait and see what the situation will be. And hopefully for the New York Red Bulls, it will be a positive. Carlos Coronel played strong in goal once again, made a big save in the opening half. Stood tall in the closing half. And that's basically it. Solid defense. Strong play. We're just going to have to wait and see what's going to happen when this New York Red Bulls team goes out and plays solid, strong defense. We're going to have to watch that, and we're going to have to need that and see that. So that's it, basically. They've got to find a way for the Red Bulls to get two wins. The next win clinches them a playoff spot. If they win it against Atlanta, they will move on to attempt to earn a home match in the playoffs. And that's what you want. That's what you need. You must find a way to go out and just play the same way you've been playing this entire stretch. Once you do, everything will be just fine. Everything will be hunky-dory. 
And that's all you can really say about it. Because once again, this Red Bulls team dug themselves out of probably the biggest hole we have ever seen from this club. Dug themselves out of a large hole that none of us thought they were going to get out of. And when they did that, that's when the believe the non-believers came out and said, we were probably wrong about this team. And I don't know why people want to hate on this club. I don't understand why there are people that believe that this club is not worth the time. Or they just hate New York City in general because they think we get our way. No, we don't get our way. If we were able if the rebels were able to get you know their way and everything and anything, we would have so many MLS Cups and so many Open Cup championships that we wouldn't know what to do with ourselves. Nor would the club. Three supporter shields are pretty damn good. But to fight every single season to win multiple league titles and multiple Open Cup titles, that would be amazing. The only thing lacking would be, of course, the Champions League title because we don't see our MLS clubs, you know, either, you know, not reaching the final, but to reach them and then just try and have your kid be relaxed and calm, you know, give her a hot glass of water, bring with you uh, some soups and, uh, you know, instant soups, whether you want that or not, and find a way to go out and calm your kid down. So we're just going to have to wait and see what the situation is going to be for this Red Bull side. We're going to find a way to go out win your remaining home games or actually win your remaining home game and then win your remaining games on the schedule because as of right now as of right now this New York Red Bull side is not out of the woods just yet they got to play strong and hard and that's going to start this coming Wednesday night MSG Network, 7 o'clock for pregame, 7.30 for the match, 9.30 or later for post-match. And we'll have to wait and see what's going to happen. And as always, ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you for listening tonight. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to chat soccer with you and what's going on during the league-ish, uh, during the league's time during this pandemic that we're still in, but things are getting looser now. We're getting better information, better weather reports, and different situations. So we'll just have to wait and see what the situations will be and how they're going to materialize for this Red Bulls squad. Other than that, it's been really nice Excuse me, it's been really nice to uh, do this show again. And next week, get ready, folks. We are heading back to World Cup qualifying. And we're going to have two shows instead of three for this month in November. And we're going to have a couple of pre. And we're also going to have a preview show next week 
before we get to Friday night and the El Clasico as the United States will host Mexico at the TQL in, on the west side of Cincinnati. Thank you very much. Thank you for your time. I want to thank my guests tonight, Nicholas Mendela of NBC Sports Soccer, John Krasinski, Pittsburgh Soccer Now. My name is Daniel Feuerstein. Thank you for listening to me tonight. And as always, please enjoy your football. Thank you. Have a good night. Take care so long. And bye-bye for now.